On today's episode, what Brody has learned from patellofemoral pain. Welcome to the Run Smarter podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I'm a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. Welcome back on this series. Today we're delving into patellofemoral pain, the most common condition that runners do get. Uh, if you've just joined us or if you this is your first episode of the podcast, welcome. Uh, we are halfway through a series where myself, Brody, we're talking through uh, injuries that I have experienced in the past through my probably six years of running now, maybe a little bit more, and uh, going through what I've learned for every single lesson and every single injury that I have had. We're doing this every Monday and then every Friday I have um, backed it up with an interview of some sort and yeah, I think we might have one more week of this afterwards. Uh, I've got one injury that I do want to delve into. I've had several other injuries I haven't discussed but the lessons that I've learned which will be uh, crucial value for you guys that are listening, uh, I think there might be one more value-packed episode in there. Um, before I get started, an update on my foot pain, which I've been talking about the last couple of weeks. It is still there, but is, I'd say, mildly better. And it's only ever been very, very mild to start with. But my current symptoms would be, say, in the morning, um, just putting pressure on it, like awkward pressure if I don't have shoes on. There's just like a little bit of a niggle in the midfoot on my left side and I have changed up my routine. I'm training smarter, making smarter training decisions. So what right now what that looks like is I'm resting every second day just to pay attention to symptoms and see how it goes. So I'm avoiding running or putting um, or challenging the foot, you could say, on consecutive days. So I tried running. I'm running in my... Uh, more supportive shoes to take a bit of pressure off the midfoot and that's all I'm wearing at the moment when I do go for a run. I tried 4Ks and it was totally fine, like no increase in symptoms. I went for 5Ks, no increase in symptoms and just the other day I went for 7Ks. Again, all symptoms are no worse and that's following symptoms after 24 hours of the run. So still applying all those principles that we've learned in season one, which we've all watched, haven't we? We've gone through all those first 10 episodes because I keep uh, pushing to do that. Uh, So making those same decisions, following those principles, and I am implementing a little bit more bike sessions because that's less taxing on the foot. 
hopefully that helps it recover, but not completely resting because that's another principle that we need to consider. I went for a swim a couple of days ago for the first time in 10 months. First of all, that being like now with restrictions easing, we can now go swimming, but also great to rest the foot. So it might look like on one day. So I ran my seven Ks, then completely rested, maybe did some gym upper body stuff the next day. Then I went for a ride again, rest day, then went for a swim, rest day, another ride. And I'll probably do a run uh, either tomorrow or the day after. And yeah, just keep following along. I have realized that it's probably a muscle strain within the midfoot. And I had a couple of differential diagnoses, one being the stress fracture. Like I said last time, every time I get pain in the midfoot, I think here it is a stress fracture. I've never had one before, but this is probably what it would feel like. And yeah, so I get worried about that. But now that I think about it a bit more, the pain did come on the next day after increasing my weight with my single leg calf raises. And I do my single leg calf raises without a lot of support in the shoes that I wear. And because I'm carrying such heavy weight, it's sometimes hard to have um, like a really straight line going up and down in a straight fashion. Like there's sometimes a little bit of twisting and that could potentially be what caused it with the increase in weight and me just maybe twisting a little bit awkwardly. Because now if I do twist and make that same awkward kind of twisting motion, that's what produces my foot pain. So come to the conclusion, it's most likely some sort of little tweak foot strain within the the midfoot. And so now I'm going to start implementing some intrinsic foot strengthening work and just focusing on a lot more on the, the foot strengthening exercises. Hopefully that accelerates the healing, but I'll keep you updated. The other thing I wanted to mention is I have deleted an episode from my podcast archives. I didn't think that episode was good enough for you to listen to. I think you deserve better. And so I have deleted it. Um, I will tell you what the episode is, but won't mention the author. If you're listening to this, like, you know, a year from now, as I expect the podcast to grow and be a massive boom in new subscribers. There was an episode on um, safety tips for either starting the gym or returning back to the gym. And I was having a talk to this guy around like cross-promoting audiences and jumping on his podcast, teaching his audience a a few things. And he suggested, how about I come on? And he was a a big gym goer, uh, worked for years and years in strength and conditioning. And I said that I've done a lot of strength conditioning episodes in the past. How about you come on and uh, teach us how to safely start some gym work. And he said, yeah, that's right, my alley. And so, yeah, we decided to do that. And then throughout the episode, realized that his um, personal preference due to the recent evidence is to uh, just go really light. So mainly do bodyweight exercises or do really high reps, which is counterintuitive or, well, totally um, contradictory to what I suggest runners do. We need to try and lift heavier weights. And that's where the benefits come. That's what all the evidence shows when it comes to running performance. And so he was here suggesting, not necessarily for running performance, but to be as safe as you can to start doing really light work and do the high reps. And you can even just continue doing the high reps just to maintain this really safe approach. And that's where 
I sort of let you guys down. I didn't uh, have like this agree to disagree type of reflection. I didn't really give any pushback or any um, insight into why strength work and heavy strength work is really beneficial to runners. I didn't say any of that in that episode. I was just, and this comes to my personality as well. I I tend to be like quite agreeable all the time. And no matter what someone's point of view, I tend to just go with the flow and try and be a really nice, welcoming host that doesn't give any pushback. But you deserve better. And I did get one comment on social media being like, the podcast is meant to be about clarifying and simplifying a lot of key concepts. And if you have someone coming on with a different message and you're not giving that same pushback, then that just leaves the audience like you guys, the listeners with like confusion, which is the total opposite thing. And I'm like, damn, he's right. Um, So I was thinking about it for a couple of weeks and I just thought I'd give it some thought and decided to completely delete it because it's not that the guest was doing anything wrong. It's just that the message that I got across, I was very agreeable that runners should be lifting quite light because they should be safe in the gym. And that's just not the the pushback that I expected myself. It's not the high standard that I hold for myself and it's not the high standard that this podcast is all about. So yeah, that will not be in there. I now with my... Um, I now have to go through the catalog and see that there is a missing episode. So when it goes to, you know, episode 79, 80, 81, 82, there'll be a missing number in there, which makes me slightly uneasy. But to know that the quality of these podcasts are to, to hold to my own standard and hopefully you guys are getting across, I will be better next time. I will be going against um, my natural inclinations with my personality and will start pushing back or not pushing back, but letting know my points of view as well and having a nice, um, a nice discussion rather than just agreeing with everyone that comes onto the podcast. And yeah, so I will do my best moving forward and that's what we do. We improve. Like I said, from the very get go, this podcast isn't perfect, but I, I do hold myself to quite a high standard. So thought I'd just um, mention Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. That because you guys deserve better. Uh, I have mentioned, go back to season one. I I, I feel like I should should just... um, not spend too much time talking about that on this episode. But if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, definitely do so. One, when you subscribe, you automatically get notifications of when a new episode comes out and it automatically gets uh, uploaded, downloaded onto your phone so you can constantly keep updated. And if there's an episode title that you don't necessarily want, then you can just delete it. There's no no harm done, but at least you're getting notified every time a new episode comes out. So if you haven't done it already, uh, just subscribe to the podcast and it, it helps with the experience. Um, also, if you're not familiar with the Patreon support, I have, well, at the time of recording now, um, a small family of about 20, 21 of us, and we're doing great things. I've just a couple of days ago released an episode exclusively for the Patreons because this is one of the benefits that the patrons do have for donating $5 per month, along with a whole bunch of other 
benefits. They also get an exclusive episode. So we talked about um, the effects of aging and how to combat the inevitable decline in aging when it comes to running VO2 max and strength and how we can slow how we can slow that decline and slow those effects. Um, so yeah, that was really interesting. And like just for an example, a couple of weeks ago, a host came out to me and said, "Hey, um, should do you want us to come on and do an episode on how like uh, body temperature, body heat, like if there's a hot day, how the effects of cooling and how to train smarter in the heat and that sort of thing?" I thought that might be nice, but not too sure if the audience wants it. So then I just asked my patreons, sent out a poll. What do you guys think? Yes, no, and uh, so this is how I'm going to start utilizing the Patreon support as well. They're kind of steering the wheel in a way and um, steering the ship in a in the direction, particularly if I don't know what direction we should head in. So I'll be listening to to you guys um, very much. So yeah, that's a that's been a real blessing for me that people are willing to jump on support the podcast. They receive a lot of benefits and then they can help me with the direction the podcast is going in. So yeah, really excited about that. Okay. Um, from our series so far, when I first became a runner, we know that I got calf tightness. We then know that somewhere in the very early months, I also, uh, patella tendinopathy resurfaced. So these are just the first and second episodes within this series. And then going into triathlons after doing my first marathon developed proximal hamstring tendinopathy and gone through all my lessons that I've learned through those injuries. Now we're going to talk about patellofemoral pain. And if you're not too sure about what patellofemoral pain is, what causes it, how to treat it, those sort of things, I will direct you back to episode 29 when we talk about all things running, uh, all things runner's knee uh, with we had the guests, uh, we had the hosts of That's Running, That's Running podcast come on and we all had this collaborative talk around patellofemoral pain. So if you haven't and you're not too sure around the signs and symptoms and treatment and what causes it, go back to that episode 29 and then that will be prior knowledge. We'll delve into this episode now. Um, okay, let me bring up my documents here because I've got a couple of dot, uh, dot points down here. So when did my patellofemoral pain first come on? I can't remember. <laughs> and unfortunately, like throughout this journey, it's probably surfaced a couple of times and I've just overcome it once I had knee pain and just started making smarter training decisions. There was probably a spike in my marathon training. There was definitely a spike when I very first started cycling and I was cycling with a group of mates, like long weekend rides. I definitely had some sort of patellofemoral pain flare up when I very, because I just wasn't used to cycling at all. And then we went on long rides and that would produce pain. And then just as the years have come on, I've just like, yeah, like symptoms have just come on. I'd have it for a couple of weeks and then it would just settle back down. I wouldn't think about it for another couple of months. And then it just resurface, resurface, resurface. And so I can't really pinpoint when it actually happened. But for the most part, running was okay. Very mild symptoms over a couple of months. Uh, was often ignored, but was very apparent when I started doing single leg work, especially once I started CrossFit and getting into the gym and started doing some heavier stuff. So challenging my strength, challenging my single leg work. I was definitely feeling some sort of pain and an imbalance from one 
one uh, knee compared to the other knee. And definitely with power exercises, I was noticing I wasn't confident producing power on that knee. And that was even when I was asymptomatic. So in those periods of time when my knee pain settled and I, I thought it was gone, I was doing, I was challenging my knee in certain ways and it was very apparent that there was some imbalance there. So um, I won't really delve into how I knew it was patellofemoral pain because you guys have gone back to episode 29 and realized the signs and symptoms for what it actually is. But I will say that there was definitely some spikes in load in my history. And I did share on a past episode when I made some smarter training decisions. I remember running for 10Ks. I was just feeling really good on a day and decided to run 10Ks, which was, I guess you could call it one of my longer runs. It wasn't the longest run I've had in a long time, but it was a longer run that I've had for a while. And I was just running too fast. I was feeling too good and recognized within like K5, K6 that my splits were quite fast, a bit too fast for what I am used to. So I slowed down and for the last four or five Ks, really conservative, but then the next day developed patellofemoral pain. And so that overall accumulation of load was too much and then had that for a couple of days. So there definitely is a history of spike in load. So uh, let's go through my lessons. So the first lesson that I have learned is pay attention to your differences when doing single leg work. And what does this mean? It means that like you can hide from certain imbalances if you're constantly doing double leg work in the gym. So if you're constantly doing squats, if you're constantly doing double leg calf raises, even if you're doing double leg jumps, um, that even like, yeah, to say skipping, skipping on double legs, you can definitely hide any imbalances. And you might, even, even with running, even though running is a single leg series from side to side, because it's quickly transitioning from side to side, you might be compensating and you might be pushing off or generating propulsion from your stronger side and compensating slightly that might go unnoticed. So I've got some examples. So some examples would be single leg squats. I like to do like a single leg sit to stand. A lot of my clients will know that I get them doing that a lot. So sitting on a chair, um, raising up one leg into the air so that only one foot's down on the ground and you're just using momentum to try and stand up with that one leg and then sit back down try and do that you know 10 times 15 times and just see what the strength is like what the balance is like how confident you feel doing that on the left compared to the right and another one would be single leg calf raises not necessarily for the knee but if you have some like plantar fascia issues or achilles issues that might be a good one single leg jumping so for power so it might be seeing how high what your vertical jump is like or your vertical hop. So um, potentially getting some like sticky notes, putting them on your hands and then hopping and seeing how high up the wall you can place that post-it note, that sticky note, and then do the same on the left side. See if there's any differences, see what your power feels like. My number one go-to, probably the most important is hopping. So hopping, say 10, 15, 20 times on one side, compared to doing 10, 15, 20 times on the other side. Especially if you have no shoes. If you have no shoes, it's kind of like nowhere to hide. The plantar fascia, the heels, the Achilles, the calf, the knee, the hips, they're all working pretty hard and somewhat mimicking the control that's required for running. And if you lack in strength, if you lack in power, if you lack in that rigidity, so that ability to bounce back and like recoil and explosively uh, release, 
that's going to be an issue. If there's an imbalance there, there's going to be an issue, especially translating into your running. Pay attention. Have a look at yourself in the mirror. Maybe get someone to video you and see if you just, if it looks like you have the same amount of confidence, if you're getting the same um, spring, if you're getting the same height off the ground, just have a pay attention to that. So lesson number one, pay attention to the differences in single leg work. Don't just hide behind some double leg work. Lesson number two, I want to recognize the importance of cross-training. So rehab with cross-training, that being squats, that being lunges, that being CrossFit or like some sort of heavier sort of stuff. So running just won't cut it. If you're doing some, if you just decide to rehab this with backing off your mileage and then slowly increasing your mileage once again, that's just not going to going to cut it because as soon as there's a spike in load somewhere, it's going to resurface. And we know the, um, <laughs> we definitely know from a couple of episodes ago that we don't want to just avoid aggravating factors because then that injury will resurface. What we want to do is tackle it head on. So I'll discuss that in a second. But for the most part, for this lesson two, rehab with cross training, say squats, lunges, and probably doing some heavier sort of stuff. Um, therefore, strength definitely, definitely recommended. Stretching, massage, foam rolling, um, less of a priority. In fact, I could refer you back to a 2018 paper. There was a general consensus paper conducted where they gathered all a bunch of scientists and clinicians, and they do this every two years. They come together and discuss the patellofemoral pain research and what's any new revelations, what they need to add in, or what's um, still strong, what's some strong advice that we can still give. And so I've got six recommendations from that paper that I thought I'd share with you. So number one is exercise therapy is recommended to reduce patellofemoral pain in the short term, medium term, and long term, and not only reduces pain, but improves functions in the medium and long term. Exercise therapy, so strengthening, is definitely number one on that list. Number two would be combining hip and knee exercises. So it's recommended that, well, it's not recommended that we just stick to knee exercises or knee strengthening exercises. We do, we want to combine that whole kinetic chain. So implementing some sort of hip as well as knee has been shown in the research to improve outcomes, to improve function, as opposed to just doing knee exercises alone. Number three, we want to, we can potentially combine interventions with um, these four short-term gains. So what that might look like is exercise therapy should be or can be combined with other interventions such as um, a foot orthosis, patella taping, so taping the kneecap, or manual therapy, so like massage, releasing, that sort of thing. Make sure that exercise therapy is a part of this um, rehab and make sure that these other adjectives, these other not adjectives, these other adjuncts like uh, orthoses, like taping, like manual therapy. We want to do this on a trial and error basis. This isn't for everyone. We want to see if it works for you as an individual. So uh, having some orthotics might work for someone, but won't work for others. Same goes with taping, same goes with manual therapy. So make sure exercise therapy is always in there. Make sure if we do any of these other interventions that it aids you like for the individual that's really benefiting you. I want to delve into the foot orthoses a little bit because that's going to be the fourth point. 
foot orthoses is recommended to reduce pain in the short term. And what we know from foot orthoses is that it may not be beneficial for some people, but will be really beneficial for others. And it's really hard to determine who favors, who will favor, who won't favor. There's no baseline characteristics to show who it will favor. So trial and error, use some really cheap orthotics, get some insoles and see if that helps you. Number five is patellofemoral uh, mobilization. So if a if a therapist decides to mobilize or move around the, the kneecap or do any lower back mobilizations to help the knee, this is not recommended in isolation. So this is what this paper shown for number five. Those manual therapies, those manipulations and those uh, mobilizations of the joint is not recommended in isolation. Number six, our last one is the, what we call electromodalities. So like anything that attaches, like a device will attach onto the knee, like, um, like some ultrasound or some like pulses, anything that's where they're putting some sensors on the knee and they're using these electrotherapy. So it's like a, a unit that attaches onto the wall. It's got, there's a whole bunch of different ones out there, but if anyone's putting electrodes on the knee and thinking that that helps, the evidence doesn't show that that's helpful at all. So that's not recommended. So just a quick recap for the, the top six to help patellofemoral pain. Number one, exercise therapy is recommended across the board, short-term, long-term for increasing uh, function and decreasing pain. Number two, combine your knee strengthening exercises with also hip strengthening exercises. Number three, we want to make sure that we um, trial and error combining some interventions for short-term gain. So orthoses, patellotaping, manual therapy can all be done if it benefits you as the individual, but only for short-term reduction. And we're also adding in that exercise therapy. Number four, foot orthoses can be really beneficial for some, but requires trial and error. Number five, the mobilizations. So patella mobilizations, knee mobilizations, lower back mobilizations is not recommended in isolation. And to cap it all off, number six, the electromodalities, all of those devices that switch on, you plug on, you put all the electrodes on the knee is not recommended. There's no research to show that that will be beneficial. Okay, so that's my second lesson. Let's move on to number three, the lessons that I've learned from patellofemoral pain. And number three is being proactive and taking tackling your symptoms head on. So if what, what, what do I mean by that? The type of injury that you develop, if a runner increases their running, the type of injury that will develop depends on two ingredients. One, you need a spiking load for, for an injury to, to occur. But number two, your weakest link will show where that injury occurs in the body. So let's just say for myself, if I was to go from right now, my long run is around about 14K. My weekly mileage is probably around about 25K. If I decide to build up my mileage, or let's just say next week, if I decide to do 40K, the injuries that will probably pop up would be my foot pain, my midfoot pain. It would also probably be my tight calves, maybe, maybe something to do with the calves, or maybe that tendon that I had for six years ongoing behind the knee that might resurface because these are my weakest links. I'm working. I'm working as hard as I can to build up my strength, but these will probably be my weakest links. 
so it needs two ingredients. It needs a spike in load and then the weakest link. If we're being really, really proactive and taking this condition head on, we're turning our weak link into our strong link so that in the future, if you do have an error in training, this is super, super resilient and it the it won't resurface. I know now that I probably won't get patellofemoral pain um, if I really, really challenge my body because I've put so much work in strengthening that knee. So a lot of runners might be content, like if they do have an injury, they might just be content with running symptom-free and they might be content even though they have some imbalances. If we do some single leg work and some single leg testing, they might be like, yeah, but I'm running pain-free, but so let's, it's not a high priority. Maybe I'll get around to some strengthening exercises, but we'll see. As soon as you disrupt your training, as soon as you have a, an error in training, it's going to resurface. And so um, we we do want to make sure that we build resilience and we do train smart and we do tackle this head on. So keep that in mind because this has worked significantly for me. I'm continuing to maintain my strength. I'm continuing to address my weak links. I am trying to avoid spikes in training load. And so this is the third lesson I've learned. Take Tackle it head on. Um, I am currently, like with my strength work, I am building up my lunges. Like I said at the start of the episode, before this foot pain came on, I was progressing my single leg calf raises. Um, I was... <clears throat> I am now still progressing the weight of my lunges. I do wall balls, if people are familiar with that. So some really heavy, um, kind of like medicine balls, but you throw it up against a wall, catch it in a squat, and then press it back up with like quite a lot of force. I'm now doing box jumps, so getting a lot more power into it. This is just what I'm integrating within the week to um, make sure that I'm trying to become as resilient as I can. And yeah, just being extremely proactive. So they're the three lessons that I have for today. Let me scroll up all my page so I can recap, just do a very quick recap. Lesson number one, pay attention to the differences in single leg work. The most important being hopping and hopping without shoes. There's really nowhere to hide. Have a look at the balance, have a look at power, strength, how fast you can recoil, how confident you feel. Lesson number two, rehab with cross training, cross training with um, strength with exercise, squats, lunges, making sure that we're doing the hip and knee combined exercises. That's just number one. And then the third lesson, just make sure we're tackling this head on, making sure that once you're symptom free and running symptom free, we're not just content with that. We're continuing to attack it and we're continuing to progress, progress, progress so that your weak link then becomes your strongest link. Build up that resilience. That's all I have for today, guys. I hope you enjoyed. Might have one more. Well, I definitely will have another what I've learned next week. And I think that will be our last episode, but um, I'll keep you guessing. Until next time, take care. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Run Smarter Podcast. I hope you can see the impact this content has on your future running. If you appreciate the mission this podcast is creating, it would mean a lot to me if you submit a rating and review. If you want to continue expanding your knowledge, please subscribe to the podcast and get instant notifications when a new episode comes out. If you want to learn quicker, then join our Facebook group by searching the podcast title. If you want to take your learning to the next step, including injury prevention principles, injury-specific insights, and modules to boost your running performance, then head to our website by searching runsmarter.online and jump into our Run Smarter online course. Once again, thank you for listening and becoming a Run Smarter Scholar. And remember, knowledge is power.